Boston. Boston. Uh, hey, Carolyn. Hey, Mike. Um, it is day one of the Stanley Cup playoffs. We got the we got the Boston Bruins and the Carolina Hurricanes playing tonight at 8 p.m. I was hoping to go to bed early until I realized, excuse me, they were playing tonight. So I'm probably not going to get to bed anytime before midnight. So, so if the Bruins win this series, will you be fired? No, no. People oh. like people are cool with uh, with me being a, a Boston sports fan. I'm a Carolina Hurricanes fan when they're not playing the Bruins. I mean, I, I really enjoy going to um, uh, going to the games with my son. It's it's really something we enjoy doing together. Uh, Moose, who is an avid Bible banterite, big big banter fan. Uh, thanks, Moose. He's actually part of the banter club. He's he's also a season ticket member for the Carolina Hurricanes. So, uh, yeah, man, we this show is repping hockey, whether or not you realize it. So I got my Bruins jersey on. I'm ready. Uh, listen to some drop kicks. We're gonna get it tonight, man. And the Celtics, they're playing at five o'clock. First game of the playoffs for them too. Oh, is the NBA back on? The the uh, NBA is a back on. And from the guy who thinks that, you know, is an expert in the NBA and thinks that uh, LeBron James is the greatest, you know, uh, of all time, I would think that yeah. you know that. I'm not an expert in the NBA. You don't have to know very much at all about basketball to come to that conclusion. I don't I don't even really watch it. Well, you've made it quite clear that you don't know anything about basketball. <laughs> <laughs> so, so there's that. Luke, you – did you have a good weekend, man? So just to remind everyone, because we said it at the end of last week's show, and I'm sorry I'm not looking into the camera. I'm trying to find our feed so I can uh, share it on Facebook. I don't know where Luke went. Um, so last week at the end of the show, we shared with the, the everyone uh, the good news or the bad news, depending on who you are. Um, if you're Satan, I imagine it's bad news or good news rather. And if you love Jesus, it's it's bad news. We're going to once a week show because uh, Luke can't hang. That's the. <laughs> I mean, that's I wouldn't have used those exact words, but I don't disagree with the the general message. That's about accurate. <laughs> well, I'm kidding, of course. It's uh, you know, we Luke and I have talked about it actually for like the last two months. I don't know how long we've been doing the show, but it's been longer than two months. And we said, hey, eventually we're gonna have to go to one one episode or one show a week um, just so that we can put all of our efforts into one show rather than splitting it into two different shows. So our goal is to give you our best one day a week for with, an hour or so with bonus shows sprinkled in here and there. So it's at least one. Yeah, that is correct. Yeah. So, uh, so get your fix of Bible banter, Bible and banter. I'm sorry. Um, we don't banter about the Bible. No, we take it quite seriously. So, Luke, you had a banger of an article yesterday. Um, you pretty much anathematized anyone who listens to Caleb. Um, oh. And I don't even know where Caleb is on the radio dial, not because I don't listen to Christian contemporary music, although that is true. Um, it's because I mostly, when I'm going from one place to another and driving, if I'm listening to music, it's on Spotify or I'm listening to a podcast or an audiobook. So mm -hmm. so uh, in, in typical Eric fashion, uh, he has completely misrepresented my article for the sake of a, of a joke. I specialize. What, what I actually said was that we should think about the music we listen to, especially if it purports to be Christian music. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Why does Luke hate soccer moms and their music choices? I do not. I do not hate soccer moms. I'm married to one. 
and I don't hate their music choices. So part of the reason I even wrote this article is because unlike Eric, uh, that heathen, I do, <laughs> I do listen to Christian pop music because despite the fact that I have pretty extensive musical education and probably shouldn't, I really enjoy pop music. So like what isn't pop music like literally it's the sugar of music. Like it's, it's, there's nothing no. redeeming about pop music. No, no, no. Because sugar is actually a real thing that comes from a plant. Pop music is like that artificially produced replacement sugar that gives you cancer instead of diabetes. But as a music guy, you still love it. It's like a, it's like a guilty pleasure. Uh, yeah. I, I don't know. What it, there's just something about like the, I, you asked this question cause you feel personally attacked. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for chiming in, Moose. I mentioned you early in the show. If you're just getting on, how uh, Moose and I are both pulling full of Bruins. So, so I actually i I enjoy pop music. Period. And by extension, I enjoy Christian pop music. And so I do listen to it. Mm. And uh, there's some good stuff on there. And even some of the same artists that were mentioned. I tried not to attack artists. I really tried to just attack an idea expressed in some of their well, lyrics. Once Mandisa finds your article on Advent Christian Voices, I'm sure you'll be getting a letter from her lawyer, like a if, cease and desist letter letter. If Mandisa ever reads my article, uh I, I don't I don't want to I you know be idolatrous here, but I feel like I will have arrived if she actually Will you arrived. will you have arrived? I in some sense of surely <laughs> uh, so <laughs> I, forget, I forget how hard this is to do with you sometimes. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> well, it's not just you. It's the chat, too. No, no, no. I'm, I'm having a blast. What was I saying? Yes. Okay. Some of these same artists I mentioned have written some really good stuff. And even the songs themselves that I mentioned, I said, hey, I'm not condemning these songs. You can still listen to them, sing with them, enjoy them, hear the truth in them. We just need to think critically about them. And this is, I think, something that I find a lot of people just don't do because music, and this this is part of what makes music so great, music is such a, an emotional pursuit. I mean, the power of music is that it stirs the emotions and it can stir all sorts of different kinds of emotions. Because music is such a, an emotional pursuit, I think some people really just sort of sing along because they like I, I just don't believe this we already oh, said we are. Josh, Rush. Josh Rush is just killing it man See, I don't know. <laughs> that's just inaccurate because she already said we all bleed the same so I I don't get to be excluded just because I uh said some critical things and I didn't say this about her by the way let me finish well, can <laughs> I, just, I I let me let me say this it, um People don't think that other people bleed the same. You can just there, there's a race to being the most woke as possible. And if you're not as woke, I've seen this play out on so on Twitter between like people in, in on hockey Twitter, like Kane's hockey Twitter, and it is the wokest, most leftist like garbage out there, right? So um, I see like this old as like so left makes Mark uh, Charles Marx or uh, Karl Marx blush, okay. Um, and they attacked this dude for serving in the military, even though he was as far left as them. Um, and he's also from Egypt. 
Uh, so he's a minority, a minority American citizen having served in the military, repenting of being in the military. OK. Um, and they attacked him, anathematized him. And I realized we really don't think that we bleed the same. Like we just we look at someone and go, man, they're so much worse than I am and attack them. And I see it on Twitter and it's disgusting. So, Luke, you don't bleed the same as Mandisa because you ain't woke. <laughs> Uh, okay. That's well, I don't, I don't want to make I don't want to make assumptions. About <laughs> it's Karl Marx's capital. Listen, I did not sleep very much last night, so I'm not going to be on my game today. I'm I'm hopped up on nothing but caffeine and water today. So uh, if it's a short show, it's because I have to go to the bathroom. Chat is going off today. I'm just I can tell already that I'm not going to be able to keep up. You and Chat are are in a different level than yeah. I am. Yeah. Uh, I was making some kind of a point. Okay, yes. I think a lot of people, when when they hear music, when they sing along with music, they they like the melody, they like the harmony. Maybe they'll catch some words here or there, like they'll get the the main thrust of the song, which in which in the case of all three songs I referenced is generally correct. Like the the primary thrust is, is generally right, um, biblically speaking. But they don't really critically think about all the words of the song. And I think this happens a lot in the church too, where it's like, Oh, this would be a great song for us to sing in church. Why? Well, because it, uh, it sounds great and makes me feel good and listen to this chorus. Isn't this great? But it's like, there's a whole song there with a whole bunch of words. And I, I really think that for when it, when it comes to the way that the believer um, sings music and not, not just sounds, but words, because these are songs that have words that all the words matter because yeah. all the words are communicating something and we should not be afraid to think critically about what those words communicate. And sometimes in, in, out of a desire to be gracious where we go, well, okay, as long as like the main thrust is generally right, then the details don't matter. But the devil's in the details, especially when it comes to theology. Well, well, Luke, you know, no one – I've listened to you preach once. Um, you are one of my top 15 favorite ever Christian preachers. I want you to know that um, in North Carolina. So, <laughs> <laughs> so um, but it, it, it's wonderful and, – and I mean this. Uh, honestly, I'm not even messing with you. As, uh, as good of an expositor as you might be, um, as good of an expositor as I attempt to be, mm -hmm. no one is leaving our service humming the cadence of our of what we said. Right? Like we could have had a like a top notch. I mean, a, every pastor has this on occasion, right? Um, you can have a line that sticks out in your sermon, something that you say, and you go, "Man, I hope someone caught that because that." I don't know where it came from. That was truly from God. That was an incredible like sentence or two, right? I mean, it happens and it is one of the most beautiful things in the world. Whenever that happens, I wish I could put it in a little bottle, seal it up and then like ship it out. Um, but that's just not the case. People, uh, people might remember a line. Like you might think it's awesome. Maybe three people caught it out of a hundred. Um, but I guarantee you people in your church leave the service humming the song that was just saying, yep. um, and it could be a good song or a garbage song. Yeah. Um, the choice is yours. The choice yep. is yours, young man. And um, we want to make sure it's good stuff. I appreciate what you had to say about your article because I'm not musically inclined. I don't mm -hmm. know music. I don't get it. I don't, I, I don't know the theory. 
you know, you and I before air, uh, we came on air. I was asking you questions about like why we teach people to read the Bible, but we don't teach them to sing the Psalms. Like mm-hmm. that doesn't make, that doesn't compute for me. So we had some good conversation about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, y- you know, I do know what sounds good and doesn't sound good mm-hmm. uh, just to my ear. Some of those songs you mentioned, I went and listened to them and I get the, mm, you know, yeah. but the hope isn't found in Christ. Like I like I listen to that stuff. Like this is what kills me, right? Caleb is supposed to be a Christian Christian um, music station. That stuff isn't Christian. <laughs> like like you even asked this. Like what makes something Christian? I don't like labeling things as Christian or non-Christian mm-hmm. because it just isn't. To me, it's not biblical, right? Mm-hmm. It, it's just not a thing. What is biblical is pointing to Christ. Those songs do not point to Christ. Therefore, you can put them on any radio station in the country, and it's not going to be offensive to anyone. Yeah. What you need to put if it's going to be a Christian radio station, it needs to point to Jesus in absolutely every song. And Luke, I'm telling you, you may wrote maybe the most powerful couple of sentences sentences paragraph in, in in advent christian voices history can i read it to you yes and i'm not i'm not i'm not like i'm not blowing smoke i'm not pumping you up i'm telling you i read this paragraph i posted on facebook today and it stuck with me and i felt like you needed those clapping emojis you know how like <laughs> in between each word is the clap that's mm-hmm. how you know you need to take people really seriously and mm-hmm. no one is ever wrong when they use the clap emoji right <laughs> like you have you're 100 correct it's divinely inspired so you so i'm gonna i'm do the, i'm gonna do the clapping emojis for you okay, okay. we are not walmart greeters we are not here to smile and wave and hand out shiny stickers we are lighthouses rocky outcroppings of sin and death abound and many a ship lies capsized just below the foamy breakers for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction matthew 7 13 in the narrow gate is not empathy compassion or education The narrow gate is a person. His name is Jesus. Dude, you wrote that and like I felt it in my in my gut, man. I I I don't want to pump myself up either. I'm gonna assume it was from God because I just felt that too. I Uh, wrote it. Like that, that's killer, man. Because here's the thing, right? So so for there's so many false gospels out there, and part Mm -hmm. of it is because Christians have co-opted these Mm -hmm. false gospels. Right. So empathy, compassion, education, like those are all good things. They're all things that Christ calls us to, but they're not the thing. They're not Christ himself. So you can have those things and not have Christ. But if you have those things and don't have Christ, you have damnation, you have destruction. But if you have Christ, you have a lifetime to learn those things. Mm-hmm. And, and we learn them by admonishing one another, by encouraging one another. Hey, man, you're kind of a dinkus, right? Like you're being a jerk. And you go, <laughs> oh, you're right. I was reading because um, I had some great correspondence with a dear brother on Facebook the other day about John Calvin. So I was brushing up on some of my Calvin, um, my, my, the books I have on on Calvin, the first chapter, I get it. This book right here by um, Michael Horton, Calvin and the Christian Life. The first chapter is worth the seventeen dollars for the book. Just that first chapter, and I learned a few things in there that I hadn't noticed elsewhere. And it's that even John Calvin, the one thing that made that that really surprised me in, in reading that one chapter this morning is how much Calvin tra- was transformed by God 
through experience in the word in how he grew in patience. He learned to be a great and loving pastor. He wasn't just some young buck shooting from the hip and being a jerk to everyone. He was pointed in his criticisms, but he was also winsome. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think that we need to be winsome. Absolutely. But if we're winsome and we're just winning them to empathy and education, then mm-hmm. we're winning them to, to hell. We're, yeah. you know, um, we need, and I hate the term winning people to, to something, but uh, you know, in a sense, that's what we try to do when we write articles, when we mm-hmm. craft sermons, whatever it might be. Yeah. So anyway, let, let me, let me catch up on a few comments and then I want to follow up. Uh, I love so much of what you just said. Okay. First of all, the newsboys, they don't serve breakfast in hell is a perfectly theologically acceptable and be a classic. Um, I don't want this to completely devolve into a discussion of, music from certain groups, although Eric may decide he wants to do that today. Uh, I I tend to try to judge the song based on the content of the song. Mm-hmm. So is there a lot of theological baggage with anything coming out of those groups mentioned? Yes. Have, have some of their songwriters written really good songs for worship? Yeah. Yeah, they have. Uh, well, we were talking about it before we came on air. It's not a worship service if you don't play Oceans, right? Like <laughs> song. Um, and can you really call yourself a church if you haven't played Reckless Love at least three times in the last month? I, I would not identify either of those songs as one of the songs to which I was referring. Um, but if we want to get into that later, later we can. I, I, w- I would say there are some songs that have come out of those groups that are that are great. Mm-hmm. The I think, Eric, I really appreciate uh, you managed to say in one sentence what I took several hundred words to say in the article, which is that um, these songs that I mentioned could very easily be played on a secular radio station with no offense. And, yeah. and that that I think is what I was really trying to get at. And that that's not a, an indictment of the the artists, because they very well may. And in fact, I can tell you at least one or of the three, I know at least two of them do have songs which include the offense of the gospel. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's great. I don't want to judge an artist by one song. I've, I've written songs about a cup of cappuccino or a particularly interesting wicker chair, and I, I, they weren't about the gospel. So if you were to hear those songs then and, and try to judge my whole out, output, my artistic output based on that, then I'm just uh, another secular humanist and uh, materialist and the worst. I, will, the worst I just wait. I think I speak on behalf of everyone listening and watching right now. Can you can you riff a couple of verses on the wicker chair? Because that sounds incredibly interesting. It's not. It's not quite as good without the guitar. So maybe sometime when I have my guitar. That's disappointing. <laughs> the, but the point I'm making is, uh, the point of the article was not to condemn these authors. Right. And I, I don't think you came across that way either. No. Um, because I would hope like if if I mean if I if I tried to purport something as Christian and it wasn't, uh or or and it's not even so like is it their like it's not their fault about that that music. Like the people who treat their music as though it's a sacred cow, they're the one that that I'm not even saying that they are the problem, it's that it's that train of thought. Um, yeah. So the people aren't the problem. It's the line of thinking. Fallenness. Sin is the problem. Yeah. Um, Deception is the problem. And part of the reason that, because look, if it's pop music, so you can find crappy lyrics everywhere. 
Oh, excuse. Let me. Let me. I'm practicing using uh, more better church words. You okay. can find not so great lyrics everywhere in pop music. However, this sentiment of we just all need to come together. We, we're really more alike than we're different. We can all make the world a better place. It. I keep seeing it in Christian circles, in my own Christian circles, where it's we sort of look at the world around us and go, well, we just need to come together and get over our differences and everything will be better. And that's a lie. That's a lie. That doesn't mean that we shouldn't be kind, compassionate, understanding, empathetic to not only our brothers and sisters in Christ, but to the people of the world. In fact, the Bible commands it, but that's not actually the gospel because the gospel is about Jesus and these songs that lack what you might call the stench or the offense of the gospel to the world, they're fine, but they are fine as catchy little tunes, but they are, they make for really, really poor teachers of theology. Mm -hmm. And this is the thing that Eric and I harp on all the time that if, if, uh, and I, unfortunately, or maybe fortunately, I think our audience tends to be people who already think this, but if anyone's listening and doesn't already think this, your theology matters a lot, a lot. And that doesn't mean that you have to know every technical term that so-and-so used 500 years ago. It doesn't mean you have to read every giant book that Eric's read. It just means that the way that you see the world and the way that you express your belief, even the way you communicate it, actually says something about what you believe and what you believe really matters because it's important that what you believe is true. And you, not, know what, you know what, Luke? Well, I, I do mean to cut you off. You know what? <laughs> I was going to say I don't, but I do. Um, you know how we can guard against um, music that – and again – listen to that music that's fine that i mean you can listen to the k-love music i like to listen to classic rock music i like to listen to death metal sometimes rap me like i listen to all sorts of things okay mm -hmm. you step into my office you'll hear all sorts of things mm -hmm. um, so so i'm not judging on just don't confuse it with the title christian because it's it's not right mm -hmm. so i think how we guard against that is we filter things through something called creeds and confessions hmm because the creeds and confessions are an, are an articulation of what we believe about God. If we use music as the way that we communicate what we believe about God, then we are quite anemic yeah. um, as a people, for sure. Yeah, and there's, there's, there's something else, too, here that, that's worth mentioning, which is, so you, you brought up the fact, okay, you listen to rock. Some people might listen to rap. Some people might listen to uh, folk music. Uh, look. I'm not here to say like you shouldn't listen to K-Love or your local rock station or your local country station. However, I think most Christians, maybe not all, I think most Christians are exercising some level of discernment when they're listening to secular music. What concerns me is that then we turn on, let me get my fingers in here, Christian music, and we turn off the filter and then garbage gets in. Yeah, so, dude, so that's a great way to put it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, of course, I'm sure there are also people who just, when they listen to music, they don't have their filter on at all, and that's e that's even worse. But just because something has a certain label doesn't mean you shouldn't be discerning. And this is actually something that you should be doing even with what you're being taught in your own church, because Paul commends the Bereans in Acts 17 
I'm sorry, Luke, uh, who wrote the book of Acts, Luke commends the Bereans in Acts 17 because they searched the scriptures daily to find out if what Paul was saying was even true. So this is actually what we should be doing with everything that we take in, whether it's in or outside the church, whether it's Christian or secular, we should be testing it against the word of God. And that's all I think I was I was trying to do with. with Look, can you please stop referring to yourself as the author of the book of Acts? I told you there can only be one, Eric. There's only one Luke. <laughs> Dude, I so I never miss an opportunity when I'm mentioning like the ESV, the English Standard Version, to call it the Eric Standard Version. Do you have any idea how much I would refer to myself as the author of Luke <laughs> in, in Acts if I, if my name was Luke? Um, so I, I just want you to know that if you don't take advantage of that on occasionally, uh, yeah. or on occasion, then I don't know what you're doing. We, we got some more we got some more comments here to deal with. Okay, I, I like Bickford's point, which I sort of mentioned in passing in the article, though there wasn't time to get into it. Does Christian music absolutely have to refer to Christ? Can something be Christian without explicit reference to Christ? Yes. Uh, and that, I think that really just raises the question of what even is Christian music? Is it music written for Christians? Is it music written by Christians? Or is it or is it music that is intrinsically Christian? And of course, if that's the case, we have to be referring to the words, not the music, because as far as I know, there's no notes or instruments or styles that are explicitly Christian. There is only a message that is explicitly Christian. And so should that then be the standard by which we judge whether or not we can even call something a, a piece of art or, or, or music or especially text, lyrics, words, Christian? And I would say not every Christian song has to communicate the gospel because the the bible says a lot of things about a lot of things and so you can write a song that is very particular to one thing the bible says the issue is if you take anything other than christ and even appear and i'm not saying these artists did this but even appear to exalt it as the ultimate or the final um that's dangerous and it's harmful and I don't want to say it's wrong because I don't want to judge the motives of those uh, those artists. But if in the heart of the person listening, that's what's happening, that's wrong. It's mm -hmm. wrong. Mm -hmm. And we don't need to, I'm not here to try to harp on, I'm not even, I'm trying to not even mention the names of the artists or the songs because that's not the point. That's not the point. Other, Because if that were the point, then I would need to go through the entire catalog of every type of music that every person in my church listens to and give them this nice, nice neat little list of here's the songs you can listen to and here are the ones you can't. That's not the point. The point is, can we be discerning in our listening? Can we test what's being said? And people, I think, sometimes just sort of shrug this off like, eh, it's just, it sounds nice. But I will tell you, Eric. Tell so me. I, admitted, I love pop music. I did not realize until fairly late in life how much of the vapid, worldly, destructive messaging of those pop songs had gotten into my heart and mind. Mm, like what they got, they got in like what like the way that certain artists view women uh -huh. that got in uh like the way that that uh certain artists view life and sort of the the uh eat drink and be merry for tomorrow we die view of the world oh yeah man dude i totally get that i totally i totally get that and that's that's i think common not only in pop music but really a lot of contemporary music um, mm -hmm. 
you know, the, no matter the genre. And, and I think about this, Luke. Um, I pulled open my Bible because we are Bible and banter. And I thought about this. Sir Mix-a-Lot is a big one for Luke. No, no, no. Actually, uh, more Lil Wayne. Uh, Sir Mix-a-Lot was before uh, my time. Oh, my goodness. So um, Romans 11.36, man. This is one of the most important verses in the entire Bible. Mm-hmm. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. In everything that we do think and say, in every circumstance in which we find ourselves, we must ask the question, how is God glorified in this? Mm-hmm. And I think that, I think we miss the boat when we say, is this Christian or is this not Christian? Because mm-hmm. I think what we're saying is, at least how I view that is, does this fit within my construct of Christian culture or the Christian yeah. subculture. And there's different subcultures within the Christian subculture, right? So there's yeah. like reformed subculture, there's poppy subculture um, and all this stuff. Right. So, um, you know, we got to be careful. We have these things made up in our minds. I, you know, I think we got to look at whatever it is, whether it's partaking in music, movies, television, um, whether we consume alcohol, tobacco, whether we um, are looking at, you know, in the, and really we're supposed to be talking about church unity today, but whether or not the doctrines that we might discuss, we must ask, how do these things, um, how, how does this point to the glory of God? Yeah, yeah. And, and not like stretch it, but like be honest, you know, nowhere in the Bible does it say you can't laugh. Watch the office, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, nowhere in the Bible does it say um, that y- you can't enjoy certain things in this life. Right. No, no, look, the, quite the opposite. In fact, what the scriptures seem to say is that all good things come from God and that in enjoying them, we do give him glory. The issue is. Uh, so we give him glory when we listen to Mandisa tell us, tell us that we all believe the same. And then there's and there's truth in that song. Like, I think we can listen to that song and identify the truth in it. There's some good points being raised here in the comment section. So I want to sort of address some of them. Okay. Does Christian music absolutely have to refer to Christ? No, no. And so my issue with these songs is not that they don't mention Christ. It's that they seem to mention something other than Christ as the ultimate solution. The ultimate solution is education. The ultimate solution is empathy. The ultimate solution is compassion. Exactly. So you can, you can write a Christian song that doesn't explicitly refer to Christ as long as you're not exalting something else to the position that only he holds. Mm-hmm. Um, we absolutely have to be discerning. But see, Bickford, he, I, I love when, whenever Bickford's here because he makes sure that I'm precise with my language. We absolutely have to be discerning. Should the works Christians produce be divided based on explicit reference to Christ? No, no. I think we should be discerning when it comes to truth. And this is, this is where the line does get blurry. I think there are some secular songs that do a far better job of expressing the nature of man than most Christian songs I've ever heard. Because mm-hmm. every once in a while, you will find leaking in some popular secular song that speaks to the absolute vanity of the things that the world is pursuing. I mean, yeah, it's, it's there, like a, there, there's, a, there's yeah. a song, I'm not going to mention the the song or the artist because i don't want people to judge me 
but there is a rap artist that's a contemporary rap artist. Um, and there's a song where he, at the core of the song is how he's grown up on the streets and how he has struggled to follow Christ in the midst of being on the streets. And I mean, he uses curse words. He does, you know, occasionally objectify women and, and whatnot. Like there's issues with his worldview. There's issues with what he has to say. But mm. I remember the first time I heard it, I cried. Like, and I don't cry easily. Like, I'm not someone who just like cries at the drop of a hat or anything like that. Like, I listened to it for what it was. And I resonated with it in a way that I cannot resonate with most contemporary Christian music. Because it's talking about the struggle that each of us has, and he's communicating it in a language and in a way that is particular to him and his perspective. Mm-hmm. And and to hear it, I was just like, "Golly, man, this is." I mean, it was just it was a work. I mean, God used that to remind me um, of just the struggle that we all go through, man. Um, yeah, and, and I just. These pop songs, whether it's Christian pop songs or other pop songs, I'm not a huge pop fan. Like I'll listen to some of the music. I was probably more into it when I was younger and, you know, before I was married, go to the club and, you know, you know, all that music and stuff like that. But, um, you know, as I've gotten older, I'm not into it because it's just so fake, mm-hmm. you know, it's just so fake. And, and it's portraying a life that is just so disingenuous. It's so far removed from reality. Mm-hmm. And I think that oftentimes we try to remove ourselves from reality by the music that we listen to. And it's just, we're trying to live in fantasy land. And then we don't know how to relate to those who don't live in that fantasy land, who aren't part of that Christian subculture. Um, yeah. And I don't, I don't want to condemn everything in the Christian subculture. Cause look, there are also songs from those same artists on Christian radio that are, without qualification great mm-hmm. they're great for the and i'm not saying they're great music they're on a, they're on a pop station so they're probably you know they're they're um they're bubblegum which i love bubblegum well uh, i love the title of your article puddle flavor bubble bubblegum yeah yeah it's it, it's it's muck and filth hidden by a nice little sweet crunchy ex- er, chewy exterior um but there, there is, there is some bubblegum, and in the middle, there's like good God honoring theology, which is great. I love that. The so I don't want to condemn everything in that Christian subculture. It's it really is just a matter of being discerning. And this is where I can even think of some songs that do explicitly reference Christ mm-hmm. that still kind of cross this line where okay, the the song has Jesus in it, so it must be God honoring. Well, what does it say about Jesus? Does it say that he'll help you feel good and get you in his heaven someday? Or does it say that he saves you from sin by his atoning work? Like, what is it that it actually Most says? About time it's, it's he'll make you feel good. But see, this is where you really have to exercise discernment because not only can you not just trust a label or, or, or a subculture, you can even have Jesus mentioned in the song and it's, it could still be wrong. It could still be wrong. And that, I don't think that should I don't think that should be intimidating because the good news is as you practice this kind of discernment, it gets easier. I, I think I think when I first realized I was listening without discernment, it was overwhelming at first because it felt like I was I was trying to to see something that I 
I didn't even know how to recognize. But once you do start to recognize these little false gospels, it's like they get bigger and brighter and more prominent everywhere that you see them. So before you're having to sort of think really hard and search around and figure out what's this and what's that. And then the more you do it, it's the more it's like it becomes almost instinctive where now you listen to or watch something and you can still sort of enjoy it and partake in it, but you're already sifting and filtering and setting aside the garbage so that you're not taking it in. Mm-hmm. That's good, man. That's good. I appreciate your article. Um, and although I joked about you anathematizing everyone, it, it was very, it was very winsome. Um, you know, and I, and I shared this on, on the Facebook machine today, like, dude, and I said, I do it. You do it. Everybody that watches this probably does it right. We disagree with someone and we have mm-hmm. some sort of conviction and we anathematize them. Right. And, we, and, and, and another word for anathematize nowadays, it's cancel them. Um, mm-hmm. They disagree with us, whether it's on a small point or a large point, And we go, this person's the worst person ever. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, and we can't believe we've ever been friends with them. Uh, you know, just the whole nine yards with, with that stuff. Yeah. Um, and I think something that's unique about, I hope it's unique about our show. I think it's, you know, we try, we try to be kind, right? We try to be compassionate and empathetic, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, the things that, that um, you mentioned in your article, but we try to be those things because we care for our brothers and sisters in Christ and we care for the lost and we want to see people know Jesus grow in him. Um, but we also have firm convictions, right? So, um, like on everything that we've talked about on the show, whether it's theological or otherwise, you know, mm-hmm. like we talked about complementarianism before, right? That was one of the first shows we had. We had uh, Mama Copeland on, right? Mm-hmm. Great friend of the show, tremendous saint. I appreciated her very much. Um, and, but, you know, her, like your dad have a different view than you and I have regarding mm-hmm. the role of women in ministry. Right. Um, and you and I have had private conversations and even conversations through, through Facebook where we're like, we're not trying to like, we're not trying to kick anybody out for a differing view on women in ministry or anything like that. We have a conviction. Mm-hmm. Um, other people might think, well, you're, you're uh, patriarchal or you're chauvinist because you have that conviction. And you go, no, no, it's, it's because we think the Bible's quite clear on it, you know? And, right. um, and, and we have a tendency, I think on the, what I can saw, what I consider the conservative end, um, mm-hmm. which might not be the, the right way to put it, but I'll say it anyway, where those who believe, um, and pretty much anybody could be a pastor or, mm-hmm. or an elder, we go, well, you're letting the culture dictate that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's unfair. There are some who are like that, just like mm-hmm. there are some in the, on the conservative side, on the, on the, on the complementarian side that are chauvinistic. Yeah, are, yeah. There, there, there are complementarian misogynists and there are complementarian biblicists. There are egalitarian culturalists and there are egalitarian biblicists. Yeah. And in our in our conversations with one another should be about the scriptures, not mm-hmm. about the culture. Yeah. And 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 that's and that's just one issue, right? When it, whether it's, mm-hmm. um, you know, whether it's how we view soteriology. Um, how someone comes to faith. Is it a monergistic work or is it a, or a synergistic work? Um, I have often, you know, 
said pretty much if you're not a monergist, you're you're a Pelagian, <laughs> um, and and that's probably an oversimplification. And, and, but, and real quick, real quick, give for those who you just used a bunch of theological terms that you and I know, but tell everyone real quick the short version of what those words mean. Monergism means that um, salvation is a work of God mm-hmm. alone, but that doesn't that doesn't negate man's responsibility to mm-hmm. respond. Synergism says that um, there is a work of God and a work of man. Yeah. Uh, and uh, the so you and I are monergists, as are as are some of our listeners. Others are synergists, where they believe that it's an equal work of God as well as man, mm-hmm. which is why I call it Pelagianism, because then it's <laughs> anyway, we're not getting into that. But I mean, it's it's obviously something I'm pretty passionate about, but I'm only passionate about it because I think the scriptures speak to it. Um, yeah. and are quite clear on it. So we don't necessarily need to anathematize one another for that, but we do want to be winsome and try to win win someone over to what we think is right belief. Um, yeah. Why? Because, I don't know, speaks to who God is, and we kind of want to get that correct. Yeah, and, and you, you've raised, I think, the point uh, that leads us into the sort of the next part of the discussion we wanted to have, which was, the article was really about Christian unity and what it actually is. Um, and I think you just struck on a key tenet of what I would call genuine Christian unity, not the false, uh, good feeling, mud flavored bubblegum one, but like the, the real unity that's in Christ. And much of that unity, if not all of it, comes from agreement upon the authority of Scripture because. Or let's get to the heart of it first. The heart of Christian unity is Christ. It's it's not a book or a set of beliefs. It's actually a person. Mm-hmm. Um, that person has revealed himself in Scripture. That's how we know who he is. It's how how we know what he commanded. It's how we know what he did. It, it's how we know, like, anything that you know about Christ, the only reason you can know it with certainty is because God's spoken it in his word. Yeah. So... That right there, to me, is at the heart of Christian unity. Um, and we could sort of get into a little in a moment, Eric, how, how do we draw the line, which you've sort of done before, between the broad tent of Christianity and the more narrow tent of denomination or even church. You know, how, how many of the second and third tier issues do we need to be in agreement on in order to be able to cooperate together? But if we're just talking about the broader scope of the church, the real question is, who is Christ? Who's Jesus? What has he done? Um, and how do you know that? That's what unifies us. It's not the ability to set aside differences and empathize with each other. Now, is that an important thing for believers to do? Yes, but it's actually the fruit of unity in Christ. It's not how you achieve unity, because according to Scripture, Unity in Christ is not something you achieve. It's something he achieved in which we now live. That's right. And, that, and that's where these songs, or the, forget about the songs, that's where this kind of message, whether it's in a song, a video, a conversation, a Facebook post, that's where this message is. And I used this word and I, I meant it. It is explicitly anti-Christ. It's not just wrong. It is anti-Christ because it says the way that we accomplish what only Jesus could accomplish is by being nice to each other. That's loaded, man. That's, <sighs> but dude, dude, that's a loaded, that's a loaded term. I mean, 
when did I become the softer, gentler? <laughs> when, like, when did the roles reverse here? Um, you pray. Look, I, I'll, I'll give. I'm gonna give a lot of of wiggle room when it comes to most issues, but when it comes to the gospel, I I'm not saying that the people who do who who sing these songs or or share them are, are antichrist. I'm saying this spirit of what is gonna make what is what is gonna fix the world is human ability to get along. That's an antichrist message. It's, I don't have, know, no, it's not antichrist. Well, I guess you could. What I'm going to say is it's it's a very Arminian message. It's a very synergistic message. It's a very moralistic. No, therapeutic no it's not. Because no, at least the synergistic message does mention that Christ is an important part of it. The, the, yeah, but they're like, hey, look, look how great your life can be. Just follow Jesus. Yay. The, look, I... I I have heard, and look, I, I shouldn't, I shouldn't, I should be a little less self-righteous because I've said it. You're, you're being, you're being a little, you're not being too self-righteous. I'm giving you, a have, you're excited. You, I get it. I think the, the my my pushing back on the antichrist term is that I think that is just such a loaded term. You could say anti-Christian um, or sub, like, I don't know. I just want to push back on the term antichrist because I think. It, it comes at it with, uh, of course, Bigfoot agrees with you. Um, <laughs> hey, he's disagreed with me plenty today. Yeah, I, I, I get where you're coming from. I think as a fellow pastor and as a theo- as an aspiring theologian, I agree with you. But I think for the popular understanding of the term for the layperson, I think that comes off in a way that you don't mean it to. All right, let me let me give some nuance to it then. Okay. Let me give a little let me give a little bit of grace and nuance. Um. I have heard Christians say, and I have said myself, our job is to make the world a better place by sharing the love of God. If you stretch that enough, you could say that's true. Because how do we share the love of God? We proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then how does the world become a better place? Well, by its uh redemption and its uh consummation all all the things that jesus does um so okay i guess you could say that's true the problem is so often when we say that what we mean is if we were just nicer to each other everything would be fine and i understand the the some of the sentiment behind that there's there's certainly a biblical admonition for us to be kind and gracious and generous and empathetic with everyone, believer, non-believer, your neighbor, your enemy, right? But no, it's not true that if we were just nice, the world would be fine. That And even if you don't want to call it anti-Christ, I think you have to call it anti-gospel. That's the opposite of what the gospel actually says. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah, I agree with that. Oh, yeah, I'll buy that for you. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. I'm with you. I'm with you. <laughs> um, I, I, it is strange to have you tempering me. It's usually the other way around, where I'm trying to soften your sharper edges. I'm a bit. I'm a bit more prickly today. I like it. I like prickly, Luke. Uh, you've you've come in hard since since the break, man. Yeah. I yeah. Like I, I um. I think that's the wonderful thing about rest when you actually take it properly. I'm a jerk. <laughs> no, <laughs> but I'm energized. I'm energized. There's a. I have a real passion and and fire and all those. I'm I'm excited. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, I think I think the audience probably appreciate appreciates that, as do I. Um, again, that article was just straight. I mean, it was just so good, man. Um, I think it, I think it's timely. I don't think it's too heavy handed. I think it can be if I'll put it this way. If you love that stuff and you don't recognize how bubblegum poppy it is and how there's no gospel there mm-hmm. um, and you're not in a place ready to receive that. Sure. I see how someone could be offended, but that might be a good thing. Um, I, again, yeah, I, I, listen I, I, to listen to that stuff if you can discern, if you can be discern. It's kind of like, like I don't care what people watch on TV or on movies or anything like that. Um, I say, uh, you know, my suggestion is you got to figure out if you can discern, if you can chew the meat and spit out the bones. Yes. You know, so like someone asked me, can I watch? Um, uh, you know, one of those, one of those popular TV shows, like, um, I don't know the office. Yeah. Well, I, yeah, the office, right. Like there are definitely some things in there where you go, like uh, there are certain times I'm not going to watch it with the kids around. Right. But, um, it's funny. Uh, and if you have a sense of humor, that's okay. But if you can like take it and not be like, well, I got to live my life like these people, Mm -hmm. you know, that's okay. But if you're someone who is easily influenced by all those things, well, turn it off um, and pick up yeah. your Bible and don't read anything else. <laughs> and let, me, let me give a, let me give a personal example so that this doesn't just feel like me and Eric yelling at you about all the naughty things you do or watch. Or no, 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 you're the one yelling. I'm, the, <laughs> I'm just the, the cool right. uncle over in the background being like, Hey guys. <laughs> so it doesn't sound like I'm just yelling at you. So I really, I enjoy pop music and I consider hip hop, a subgenre of pop. It definitely at least started there. Hip hop was popular music. So I like hip hop. Um, there is some hip hop I just don't listen to anymore because of the way that it speaks about women and the way that that affects my mind. And I'm not saying that everyone has, has can't do it because they can't, as you said, chew the meat and pick the bone. But for me, I just know that goes in the category for me of where Jesus says, if it causes you to sin, gouge out your eye, cut off your hand. So that particular thing, is it evil in and of itself? I don't know, but it's harmful for me spiritually, so I don't touch it. Now, maybe you can listen to it, watch it, touch it, filter it, sort it, and not be affected by it. But you at least need to be aware of what it's what what its messaging is. Yeah. So I don't personally I don't listen to a lot of rap music anymore except for like some of the Christian hip hop artists like Shylin Man. I mean, if you're not listening to Shylin, I don't even know if you're a Christian. I mean, that stuff is oh my goodness. It's got Shylin's got better theology in his songs than what's in your hymnal. Guaranteed. I mean, it is straight it's he wraps theology textbooks in ways that are meaningful and understandable. That can get into your heart. Shylin is a giant. Yeah. Um, anyway. Well, he's he's a perfect example of how style can change, substance can't. So mm-hmm. the way that Shylin presents the gospel and presents scripture and prevents the doctrines of of the church, um, the way he presents it is very different than had ever been done until maybe 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. But the substance is what it has been since since the scriptures were written, since the New Testament was written. Yeah. So that's a great example of where I'm, we're not here to try to critique styles. 
We're not no. here to say that this particular style of music or art or entertainment uh, is taboo. Don't touch it. I mean, I, it's so funny to me because I know music history when people get upset about certain instruments because there were no organs in the church until a few hundred years ago. And people were quite offended when they first were introduced. So your classic music at some point was newfangled and of the devil. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, I want to say most most problems that we have, whether it be in the local church or or ecclesiastically, like like between churches, it's a mm-hmm. lack of understanding of church history. Um, yeah. You know, like oh, you know, like the the music war stuff. That is the most petty garbage in the world, um, because you're essentially saying my preferences are more important than somebody else's preferences. Now, if you're mm-hmm. telling me like, Hey, we're singing, like we have a problem with this music because it's theologically inaccurate mm-hmm. and it's actually theologically inaccurate. Well, God bless you. That's a, that's a fight worth having. But if you're upset because this music is more fitting for the younger generation, mm-hmm. um, then what you're saying is my preferences at whatever age I am is more important than this other preference. Um, right. preferences have no place in the church in my opinion so you know and that's a church history thing like everybody mm-hmm. has had contemporary music at some point it's everything was contemporary at one point or another right um you know one of the greatest songs is a mighty fortress is our god mm-hmm. um and it was it was a big deal for luther to have it towards you know put it towards a contemporary tune at that time yeah. Um, you listen to it in its original version now, and you go, this is the most boring stuff. I've The words are f- tremendous. Yeah. Um, I think I got saved through this song. Like, it's so good. Yeah. But then you go, but this is, I f- literally feel like I'm going to age 30 years in the five minutes of this song. Like, yeah. it is so slow. Yeah. Well, it goes, it goes the other direction, too, though, because there would be some people who will hear that style and go, they'll, like, breathe a sigh of relief. Like, ah, oh, this is my kind of music. But this yeah. is this is why it becomes so important to be discerning because you can hear a song in a style that you love that is absolute garbage. And you can hear a song that stylistically is just, oh, not your thing, but it is gospel, it's Christ-centered, it's biblical. And so which of those songs is better for the church? The one you don't like that honors scripture. Yeah right i mean that should just be so obvious to us but it's hard it's hard because again music is such an emotional thing that um it's very easy to get wrapped up in those preferences instead of and this is why it becomes so important that we um that that we continually are submitting ourselves to scripture because if if that's your common practice then then a song or a piece of art or a, or a show, something, some piece of media will come before you and you're going to begin to see it through the lens of the gospel rather than merely through the lens of personal preference. Well, I would say this, Luke, for us to continue to really step into the unity that's already been purchased for us by the blood of Christ, um, not the unity that's been purchased by Luke's blood or my blood or anybody else, the, literally the blood of Christ has been shed for you and you have been united to him. And by being united to him, you have been united to brothers and sisters today and of old and in future. So having that same blood, 
You need to walk in that unity and put aside preferences and go, we're going to honor the Lord in every circumstance. Yeah, I, amen to that. And Daniel, you can't write such funny comments while Eric's making a serious point, because then I grin as he's doing it. After oh, I was, I was just, I was looking up the link that Bickford dropped. Yeah, he, so he dropped the link to Shylin's false teachers. I mean, I, he's written some good stuff, but it's tough to top that one. False teachers. Yeah, I want to pull up the lyrics, man. Hold up. Uh, I, I got to read. I got to read McGee's comment because okay. this might be the funniest thing that's been posted today. I heard if you play Michael W. Smith songs backwards, you will become an Episcopalian. <laughs> Wait, that's not true. <laughs> <laughs> I love how McGee somehow managed to sneak in a Michael W. Smith joke, a dig at Episcopalians and a Led Zeppelin reference. That is very impressive. So no 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 wait who who wrote Hotel California not not Led Zeppelin come on uh the Eagles an Eagles reference um yeah so my son loves this song man he loves Shylin this is what we listen to in the in the truck man yeah he says let me begin will there <clears throat> while there is still ink left in my pen I'm set to contend for truth you can bet will offend deception within the church man who's letting them in. We, wa we talked about this years ago. Let's address it again. And I ain't really trying to start beef, but some who claim to be part of his sheep got some sharp teeth. <laughs> oh, 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 man. <laughs> you, can ca you cast at me when you criticize them, but Jesus told us, Matthew 7, 16, we, we can recognize them. And God forbid that we love that for the love of some fans, I keep quiet and watch them die with their blood on my hands. So there's nothing left for me to do except to speak to you in the spirit of Jude 3 and 2 Peter 2. And I know that some would label me a Pharisee because today we only the only heresy is saying that there's heresy. <laughs> How dare they be specific and drop some clarity on the popularity of the gospel of prosperity. Mm -hmm. Oh, man. Now Turn off TBN. That channel is overrated. The pastors speak bogus statements financially motivated. It's kind of like a pyramid scheme. Visualize heretics Christianizing the American dream. It's foul and deceitful. They're lying to people, teaching that camels squeeze through the eye of a needle. <laughs> this, is, this is what I love about rap music and I love about like mm -hmm. he's speaking as a pastor here. He's a pastor. Yeah. Um, he was gone for a few years, planting a church. He talks about that on this album. Oh my goodness. And now, now if that, if this song were to come on the radio and it won't, it won't, but it's, it's, a, it's not going to be on Caleb. It, it's, it's not going to be on any radio station. Uh, if this song were to come on the radio, you would probably the best white boy. Hey, no, no. Look for all his faults. M Eminem is, He's good at what he does. Okay, let's let's be real about this. That was pretty good, though. Eric is pretty good. I'm not. The, you know, if this song were to come on the radio, it would just sort of be maybe it would just be catchy, right? Like, oh yeah, I like the beat, I like the rhythm, maybe catch the idea of the song. But the value of this song is in the words. Yes. And give me the words. It's in the words. So that's um, I I think I think that's all that all that we've said plenty about it. Test um, what you are taking in. Just test it. Test it according to the scriptures with the help of the Holy Spirit. 
and um, he'll, he'll, he'll lead and guide you. He'll convict you. Uh, he'll, he'll do what only he can do. So let me, let me get through this song. Cause it speaks to our topic today. It speaks oh, to everything that it speaks okay. to your article. Okay. Wonderful. Treating Jesus like a lottery ticket. And you're thinking they're not the dangerous type because some of their statements are right. That only proves that Satan comes as an angel of light. This teaching can't be believed without a cost. The lie is you can achieve a crown without a cross. And I hear it all the time when they speak on the block. Even unbelievers are shocked how they're fleecing the flock. And it should be obvious then, yet I'll explain why it's in. Peep the Bible, it's in 1 Timothy 6, 9 through 10. It talks about how the desire for riches has left many souls on fire and stitches, mired in ditches. Tell me who would teach you to pursue a goal. The very thing that the Bible said will ruin your soul. Yet they're encouraging the love of money to make it worse. They've exported this garbage into other countries. My heart breaks even now as I'm rhyming. You want to know what all false teachers have in common? It's called selfism the fastest growing religion. They just dress it up and call it Christian. Don't be deceived by this funny biz. If you come to Jesus for money, then he's not your God. Money is. <laughs> Are you laughing at me? Yeah, or I, forgot, I forgot how good that, that song is. Okay. Jesus is not a means to an end. The gospel is he came to redeem us from sin. And that is the message forever I yell. If you're living your best life now, you're heading for hell. No talk to him and this is the course joe osteen now no, now, well, now we, don't, we don't need to we don't need no to no, go no i want to say i want to say i'm going to say the person i want you to say false teacher when i say the person you say false teacher uh, wait, joe osteen we can't, we can't do this exercise so joe osteen's a false teacher but we can't do this exercise because there are a few names that i don't completely agree Creflo with dollar false teacher benny hinn false teacher who maybe could have hope for repentance he said some things recently that I have, I'm, I'm hopeful, but yeah. D.D. Jakes. Uh, up for debate. Joyce Mayer. I don't know. Paula White. False teacher. Fred Price. I don't know who that is. That's Kenneth false. Copeland. False teacher. Yeah. Okay. I don't know who Robert Tilton is. I don't know Robert Tilton either. Or Eddie Long. No. Or See, what need to buy them? This is not a good exercise. We don't even know these people. Daniel McGee, I'm not I'm not being soft. I I am um, this is this is what and see this is why discernment's so important. And I appreciate one of the things that Shailen even says in the song. It, he admits that some of the things these people say are right. Um, and they'll even here's the here, I'll tell you something crazy, Eric. I'll tell you something crazy. And I and I said without equivocation, false teacher. I've heard Joe Osteen preach the actual gospel. I, I I should have saved the clip. I know I should have saved the clip. It happened at least once. Yeah, he, he actually preached the gospel. I've also heard him <laughs> preach another gospel that is not the gospel of Jesus Christ uh, presented in Scripture. But you know what? If you're preaching the if you're preaching the true gospel and you're preaching a false gospel, guess what? You're a false teacher. You're a false teacher. Yeah. Yeah. But then no, it's different. Look, it is different if if someone makes a mistake in their articulation of the gospel, right? Like an honest right. mistake is different than than deceiving people. An honest mistake is when someone points it out and you go, 
oh man, I did make a mistake. My bad. Let me go back and fix it. These right. are not those type of folks. Mark Wolfington, um, Mark Wolfington chipping in to make sure that we know Robert Robert Tilton is indeed a false teacher. Thank you, Mark. We can uh, we can now listen to that song with greater clarity. <laughs> Nikki, I disavow. I disavow that statement. No such thing happens, nor would it. He invited me to kick puppies with him last week. <laughs> Daniel McGee calling you out, man. Why are you around kicking puppies? I, I, I think he's um, making jokes about how uh, prickly I am today. Well, so I claim to be prickly, but then you say T.D. Jakes, and I go, I can't quite. He's, not, he's a non-Trinitarian. Uh, he might be. I did you see did you see his thing with Driscoll? Uh I think it was on the elephant room. Dude, he, the elephant first off. I'm not much, and, no 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 no. First off, pretty much everybody that was on that elephant because I I went through a phase where I watched like all those videos. Yeah. And I did like a where are they now? About half have have had some falling out for a minute like they have um yeah so so it it is terrible you got you have matt chandler is like the only orthodox brother that is still in the ministry um don't come at me with uh with with (laughs) furtick he's not orthodox (laughs) what's unorthodox about him oh we don't need to get into this we're we're at an hour we've covered so much stuff um I have a friend who came to faith in Jesus through the the, the TV ministry of Osteen. Um, no, look, Paul Paul makes a really interesting point. I forget which letter it is, where he says, um, if someone's preaching the gospel for the wrong reasons, I rejoice that the gospel is being preached. So a false teacher trying to enrich themselves can occasionally preach the right gospel, and God can use that. Yeah. Uh, can I just, uh, Josh makes a great point and I just want to, I don't want to avoid it. He says, wasn't that the point of the elephant room? Um, you know, having people of different, you know, theological backgrounds. Yes, absolutely. Which it, it is good. And actually I appreciated, there was a sit down. I think it was, um, it, it was Furtick and, uh, and Chandler sitting down and talking about how, you know, why they do ministry the way they do, how they look at the gospel. And I appreciated what Furtick had to say. Mm-hmm. However, everything after that regards of his practice and ministry goes against everything he said in there. So it's just kind of like, I don't know. It's almost like you press someone and they'll give you the, it was almost like he was giving an answer. He like, he knew he wasn't going to get a lot of flack on. Yeah. So I, I just like, to me, I, I don't want you to be in the closet with, with like, if you have beliefs that differ from mine or yours, like put them out there. We'll talk about them. Don't just give us answers that you, that you think people want to hear. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think, th- and that's why I wasn't impressed with what he had to say. I appreciated some of the things he said. I, I will take them um, at face value and say, I, I, you know, I believe him, although it didn't seem like things really line up, but you know, my concern about the elephant room is like, you look at that and go, Man, you got uh, Driscoll who had the who had the big falling out at, at Mars Hill. You got uh, uh, what's his name? Ah, oh, why can't I think of his name? He always wears jeans way too tight. Um, the guy out in Chicago, James. James uh, I got one of his books. Uh, James McDonald. Yeah. Uh, like he's going around. He's got. He had a black budget, man. You know who has black budgets? The CIA. <laughs> 
black budget, he would buy other pastors like sports cars and motorcycles and stuff, like like off the rail stuff, man. Um, you know, Driscoll has come to repentance. He's he's being restored. I'm praying for him because he had a huge impact on me at one point, um, and I know he has on a lot of other people. Yeah. So, well, I'll I'll tell you I'll tell you too. Um, I mean, you you can you can make quite a a pretty damning judgment about uh, James McDonald based on the fruit of his ministry. However, he was a very influential teacher for me for for a few years too, and a really faithful exegete of scripture, which just goes goes to show that exegesis is not you know the the magical catch all potion. You can you can be an exegete and a fraud at the same time. Well, uh, and and you hope like for a guy like McDonald, man. I mean, he had a he had a huge impact. A lot of good music came out of his church too. Like they had some, mm-hmm. you know, um, good theology came out. And good theology isn't the remedy for sin, right? Uh, Christ yeah. is the remedy for sin. Yeah. So so we can't like we're we are careful and we are passionate about good theology but it's not it it doesn't solve our sin problem yeah like these brothers that we just mentioned we should we shouldn't like like i take no joy in in them falling from you know their position or anything like that like we should pray for them and and hope that they can be restored because they obviously have a they have the potential for a great impact on the kingdom you know they they were a voice um you know what's his uh nuts uh um uh, driscoll i mean he was on like i don't know dateline or 2020 like he was on like the real news not just like christian news so um you know but he did yeah, say and, some really dumb and things he, and this is where we this is this is why it's so good to know what scripture says about the sovereignty of god because i know when some of these people were on these huge platforms they unapologetically preached the gospel I can't speak to their condition before God. I just know God used them. And God is perfectly capable of using those imperfect vessels. Nevertheless, we ought to be on guard. Um, and I think that that was really, to sort of bring things back around, that was really the whole point of the article, is to to always have your guard up, always always have your guard, always have your discerning cap on, which isn't the cap, it, it, it's a person, he's the Holy Spirit. And he's given you a tool for discernment, which is the scriptures, and that we should just always be doing that. I'll, let me just say one more thing about the elephant room, and then we got to try to wrap things up. So I do recommend the elephant room. I, I really enjoyed it and found it helpful. However, there was a moment in the elephant room, which was very, especially helpful to me, when I realized what strange ducks we are to the rest of the evangelical world. Okay. Because it was Furtick and someone else, someone who I would... I'm not willing to say use the quite as strong language as you do about Furtick, but I would say there are others who are much more solid. So it was Furtick and then one of the other guys who was who was pretty solid theologically. And what they did was they did a rapid fire session where they laid out a bunch of theological doctrines and asked, is this a state issue or is this a national issue? So like, is this something we can disagree about within Christendom? Or if someone disagrees on this, are they outside the church? So, okay. for example, baptism, they both said state issue. So it matters, but I can call you brother. They run and they run down. Okay, deity of Christ, um, the second coming, like, and they get toward the end and they say hell, eternal, eternal conscious torment. And both guys went national. 
As really? You disagree on this point. You're not even. And I went, wow. Because because I'm looking at these these it's such a broad spectrum of evangelicals in 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 these sessions, and I'm I'm thinking like oh they're the weirdos, to them, we're the weirdos. We're the weirdos. <laughs> so so I would push back it. You know I wonder if depending on who those are who those people mm-hmm. are, like, I would expect. Some of those guys aren't what I would consider theological heavyweights, right? So like they're yeah. not known for being. Um, I mean, what's his name? Uh, Furtick is a tremendous communicator, right? Yeah. I mean, he's just so effective, so good. Um, and, and a lot of it's his persona and what he puts out there. Um, but no one's ever going to mistake him for being a, a theologian or a scholar, right? No, I, I so I, wouldn't, I would not be surprised if he never even heard of another alternative to eternal conscious torment. Right. That's my point. You know, and I'm not trying I am not trying to denigrate him in any way or any of those other guys, but if you don't take the study if you don't engage with other perspectives, mm-hmm. then you're you're probably going to be less charitable, right? But you're also not going to know what those issues really are. So for them, if you hear eternal conscious torment, well yeah, of course that's a national issue or a, you're in the faith or out the faith. If you think that's the only like that's the only biblical perspective that's well, always think, been had, I think the simple reality is that as annihilationists, for now we will always be lumped in with um, people who believe in no hell at all, who are either universalists or deny the resurrection of the wicked. Right. Um, we're not, but I think for now because because we're such a minority position that we'll. So always- is that your favorite favorite moment from the elephant room? It it might be because it was so illuminating for me and understanding, at least for the time being, sort of where we are within the evangelical circle, which is somewhere way on the on the outskirts, despite the outskirts, despite the fact that I would say we are in agreement with most of the evangelical world on far more essential issues. My favorite. You want to hear my favorite? Can you guess my favorite moment? If you can't like. It is an iconic moment of the elephant room that, I mean, it's on t-shirts. Was it part of the conversation between Furtick and Chandler? No, man. Dude, when Chandler, so I think it was because the elephant room, if I remember correctly, was over the course of a couple of years, right? Like they did it for a couple of years. Mm -hmm. And one of them was held at Elevation Church, I believe. And Furtick's church. And they had someone, I don't know who, I, I don't know who it was, but they preached the either earlier in the day or the night before and they were talking about how god will take care of defeat your enemies for you the standard like sunday school this is how we teach david and goliath mm-hmm. um right you're just, god's gonna overcome the goliath in your life or you're mm-hmm. gonna all you have to do is overcome the goliath in your life god will see you through it and um uh, Chandler gets up there, man, the next day or whenever it was later on and goes and has the crowd in the palm of his hand. And then like the guys are sitting on the stage and he looks at them, looks at the crowd and says, you're not David. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, Whoa, that's bold, man. You're stepping into the lion's den because that's part of Furtick's preaching. Is mm-hmm. it? I mean, you are David. And it's 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 narcissus. You are at the center of every of every story. Yeah, correct. You're not the center of the gospel. Christ is. You're right. part. You're part of the story. Inevitably, He saves you. So you're part of the story. Mm-hmm. But you're not the story. 
And, and when I heard that, I thought, I want to be as bold as Chandler. When, mm-hmm. when I, if I have an opportunity to be in the lion's den and, and it's the, and it's the difference between um, a hard truth or an easy wrong, I want the courage um, to be able to stand up for the hard truth. It reminds me of Tom tells a story about his grandfather who is at, I don't know if it was some, some sort of rally for a prosperity word of faith gospel preacher. And he went there. Um, and his, and his grandfather, who was a member of, of my last church, great man. And, um, I think he was a much younger man. And, and he says, he gets up in the middle of the room, looks at the guy and says, you, sir, are a false teacher. And then he got, got escorted out of the room. Like Hmm. that's gutsy, man. Like I, I, I don't do that if like, don't do that if you're not right, because then you're just, then you're a <laughs> lunatic and, and you deserve to be thrown out. But in situations that you're right, um, you know, I, I think and you, you have to have the conviction. That's why I say just because you're just because you have conviction doesn't mean you're uncharitable, but people mm-hmm. do interpret it that way. Yeah. We're going to have to have story time with Uncle McGee on here sometime, because I really want to hear this story about eating dessert with the guys from nine marks let me tell one more elephant room story. <laughs> what? Yeah, that, that's crazy yeah. let me tell one more thing one more quick elephant room story and then eric i'll let you close us because we're we've gone way over as usual although great conversations today and i always appreciate the comment section keeping us on our toes i think another moment similar to that not quite on the same level of conviction but it caught my attention in a similar way it was it was the conversation about multi-site churches and they've got a bunch of, you know, super uh, popular, contemporary, very charismatic. And I don't mean charismatic as in spiritual gifts. I mean, just they're like they're Christian superstars yeah. up on the stage. And they had Chandler, who's super solid. And they had Platt, who I also consider super solid. Love um, Platt. But, but very winsome. Platt's very winsome, soft, spoken, gentle. So no one loves missions than Platt. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So he, uh, so they go, they're going around and everyone's in agreement. Multi-site works, multi-site works. And, and Platt's just sitting there very quiet. I mean, he's just, he's a real humble, unassuming guy. And it comes around to Platt. And by this point, everyone has said, yes, yes. Multi-site churches. And Platt goes, yeah, we don't do that. <laughs> and, was, and there was some there was some exchange that went on, but he was so you know he was gentle, gracious, uh, uh, exhibited the fruit of the spirit in in so many ways. But also just seeing him surrounded by these super personalities who all disagreed with him, and he's still and it, it's not it's not an essential issue, but I think it's I think it's an important one. And yeah. he still was willing to say, no, I, I don't, I don't agree. And I, I would, that really caught my attention. Luke, you know what I think about, about multi-site churches? They're, they're, let me say what I think and then I'll hear what you think. I think okay. there's no such thing as a multi-site church. If you go to another site, that's another church. Boom. Yeah. Yep. Uh, do you if, know you what, can, if you can plant a, if you can plant another campus, you should be planting a church, you, not just another avenue where your senior pastor gets piped in via, um, hologram like that's that's incredibly stupid and pompous like how how full of yourself do you have to be to be like you know what guys 
you know, there's just no, there's not a good enough pastor in this world or preacher um, to put up and preach to you and care for you and love you the way that you need to be loved. I'm going to pipe myself in via hologram. The pomposity. <laughs> Do you know what Bodie Bauckham would say? He would say, if you have a multi-service church, you have two churches. So if you have a nine o'clock service and an 11 o'clock service, you have two different churches. And I'll tell you, Eric, I worked for three years for a church with two services and it was great. And that's absolutely true. We had two different churches that, yeah. we, that we served. I, I, th cause I've thought about that as well. Like, what do you do? Like, what do you do in this situation, which like you get to capacity in your church building or something like that? This is, this is my thought, Luke. I I'd be mm -hmm. interested to hear what you have to say. If, if say your, your church um, has say uh, seating capacity of 350, I think once you're probably, and I say like 350, that's not full capacity. That's like the 80% rule, right? Like that's where it still feel it feels full. I think that like probably 275 people, you need to be looking at church planting. You need to be looking at how to plant the church. Look at your congregation and say, are we ready for this? Do we have the leaders in which we can plant churches? And maybe you have to go multi-service for a little while while you're developing that. But ultimately, the goal should be like the church needs to be gathered together. You don't yeah. need mul if you need multiple services, you have multiple churches. There, there is another option, which is that you have multiple services. But I am more and more convinced that you need to call that second service a different church. So maybe you could have two churches meeting in the same building, but they're not the same. I'm, I'm down with that. I'm a, and I would say you need different pastors for that. That's interesting. All right, we're gonna. Sorry, we we always do this. We're getting into other things. Well, now. I would say I I would only say it because of this. I'm not a fan of these huge mega church because I was in a mega church for a while. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think like, like I like the fact that I can have a church member text me and call me. Mm -hmm. If I if I had a thousand, if I had two thousand people in my church and I was a member of a two thousand uh, person church, I mean I can't just <laughs> I can't text my pastor. I can't go up. You know, it's just. It's hard. It's I think I think you're getting into preference now. I understand exactly what you're saying. I'm in the same boat. But remember, the church in Jerusalem went from 120 to 3,000 in one day. I, yeah, so there's definitely – like I'm not saying that there's not like – you have to figure it out a lot. Like how do we process this, right? Mm -hmm. And what do they do? They're like, oh, we have multiple elders. We have deacons. We have the, you know, we have these leaders that God's given to us right. to, to, to lead this church. That's fine. And I think that what you're seeing there, because there are also house churches, I think that it's part of the greater church. So I look at that as more of like a, that's a regional church. That's a, that's a denomination of sorts, not in 21st century terms, but I'm talking first, like that's a, a group of churches that are working together. They have an apostle over them, caring mm -hmm. for them. That's that's first century, man. Like so, so I, I, I'm not against like I, I I'm not against that at all. You can share yeah. resources and have two or three churches meeting within one building. But I would say you probably need two to three pastors, however many churches you have, along with an eldership team. And if there that means there's provision there, like hey, our eldership team, our elder team is responsible for these three churches at this time. But we have a five year plan to raise up leaders to, to yeah. take over these roles. That's different than, Hey guys, you know what? Let's, let's build, let's spend $10 million on a new facility. Mm -hmm. Why? You could spend $10 million on missions. 
<laughs> Why do you always do this, man? You're we're opening every possible can of worms that we have no way of addressing before the show ends. Sorry. You, yeah, you can't help yourself, man. You can't help yourself. Uh, I think we had a really good discussion today about. Uh, look, I think it really at, at the heart of this is discerning everything through the lens of the gospel, uh, and and the as and I love that this that we always come back to this on the show. It's part of why I keep coming back. The supremacy of Scripture as the sole rule of faith and practice that we test our we test the way that we do ministry we test the way that we see the church we all this stuff should be tested against the word of god um and as long as we're doing that with the help of the holy spirit not out of some sense of self-righteousness but humbly submitting everything before god then he he will be faithful in guiding us into all truth the supremacy of supremacy of scripture leads to the supremacy of christ in our lives mm-hmm I, I was thinking of Troy on that one, our boy Troy. Yeah, get him back on soon. Man. That was such a good right, show. Guys. Hey, it's been good. It's been fun. We don't get time for the catechism today. Our bad. Um, we just got yeah, sorry, Eric, Eric and I. We're having to we're having to make up for lost time, so we're going here, there, and everywhere. So, hey guys, hope you have a good week. Go Bruins. Take care. Answer Josh's question. Today's the only episode for this week. We are dropping to one episode today. So. I don't feel bad about going long today because we don't get an episode on Thursday. So Luke, I'll see you tomorrow. Everybody else. We'll see you next week. God bless. Take care. Share the gospel.